0: Thank mm-hmm. Okay. We're good. Good job. <laughs> 525,600 minutes. That's how many minutes are in a year if you do the math. If you're gonna sit there and pull out your phone and do the calculations, um, that's a lot. Dominic likes, we have an Alexa at home and you can, we mostly use it for egg timers. It's literally most of the time. It's like I, to cook an egg or boil an egg, um, but sometimes he will do, like, Alexa, set a timer for 900 minutes. (laughs) And and then it's like, you know, it's like 10.30 p.m. and an alarm goes off. Like, wait, what's going on? (laughs) Um, But it's, um, but I think, you know, you break down, you know, breaking down so each minute goes by this. When I was hiking, I became an ultralight hiker. And so... Um, I went from like an ultra not light, an ultra heavy hiker, to an ultra light hiker. An ultra heavy hiker is, you don't know, think about it. You get all the stuff you want, you put it in your pack, and you carry it. An ultra light was, I was cutting off the tabs with my tea bags. <laughs> um, because it was like milligrams lead, mil, milligrams lead to kilos, ounces lead to pounds. Like every little bit counts. It all it all builds in. But I want I wanted to, the choir to sing that song because the question: How do you measure a year? I think is so important. That's why like New Year's is such a big, is a big important holiday. It's like an, it's an arbitrary time. There's nothing really special about it other than it's, it demarcates a point where you can think back, wait a minute, a year happened. That's what, what a birthday is. Next Sunday is my birthday. And I'll be thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm a year older. What has happened this past year? And you think through all the things that are going on. How do you measure a year? Do you measure it in your friends, in your job, in your family? Do you measure it in your mistakes? I have sometimes done that and measured in all the things I wish I had done or I wish I didn't do. Do you measure it in in the love you have for people? It is so easy for many of us to hear a lot of compliments and then fixate on one perceived slight and then like that's the one thing I'm going to take out from this day and then it just adds up and builds up and builds up. Do Do I measure my life and my mistakes? What is the story I tell about myself? What is the story you tell about yourself? Not the introductory story, not the hi, how are you, what's going on. We talked about that last week, and that's really important. The kind of like summarizing who you are in, into a small thing. But what is the story that you live by? We're continuing in our series on the sacred story. On looking through the scriptures and thinking together and individually, what is our sacred story. Last week, I, I gave a quote from a French mystic, an unnamed French mystic, who said the story of all, all, the, all the things that flow in our life is, the sacred, is our sacred story. All of the different things, all of the minutes, <laughs> all of the minutes of every year, all of the times. And so often, we're usually doing two or three things at the same time, or I am at least. And so there's a lot of compressed on top of it. What are all those stories? Last week, I spoke about the connection between Zacchaeus in the parable of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler from, from Luke chapter 8, who thought he had it all figured out, but had a limit. Had a limit on God's power for his life. Had a limit on what God can do. He was a righteous man up to a point. And then it was just too far. His limit was his generosity. He was not going to go. He was going to do all the things of the laws. He was going to do all 613 laws, but not... Give of what he owned. And then we had Zacchaeus. One chapter later. Zacchaeus, who was a sinner? Who was a scumbag? Who was a horrible person? We, should, we need to understand that Zacchaeus was not just a cute, small man. He was, he was a horrible, horrible person who steal, stole from lots of people who cheated them continuously. He was not a good guy. But for some reason, he knew that Jesus was coming. He climbed up on a sycamore tree. And I heard that in the Netherlands, it's a fig tree. The story, they have the same song, but it's a fig tree. Um, He climbed up to look for Jesus, and Jesus saw him and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house tonight. And he was struck by the grace in his life, and he completely changed his life. And he did not put a limit on God's power in his life. He did not put a limit on grace. And he pledged of himself, not just his time, but his resources. He became a man of generosity. His story was expansive. Today is going to have a lot of questions. It started with a question. How do you measure a year? I can't give you the answer. The answers can't come from me. They have to come from you. I cannot describe your sacred story. Questions that are sometimes so general as to be challenging. You know, sometimes the hardest question of a day is like, hi, how are you? And like for so much of my life, I was like suffocated by anxiety about that. What, what is going on? I don't know how I am. How am I? What is this? <laughs> um, when I was just like, I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> um, because, you know, it's, not, it's mostly a courtesy, um, but it's still a deep question. How are you? How are you at your core? Where are you? Are you here right now? Are you somewhere else? Like that's an important question we need to ask ourselves. What impact do you want to make on the world? What matters to you? Who do people say that you are? Who do you say that you are? You see, the questions are for you because it is your sacred story. We cannot control the stories of others. Even those of us with kids, we cannot control their stories. Those of us with spouses, we cannot control their stories. It is their story. It is not my story. My sacred story is not your sacred story. I think this is important because so often in the general public, Christianity is viewed as judgmental and prudish. And that's most of the, oftentimes, I want to say most of the time, because I'm surprised by, by conversations I actually have with people, but oftentimes it can come off as if you say you're a Christian in the general public and in Austin and you're not surrounded by it, people are like, oh my gosh, are you one of those judgmental ones or the other ones? Or <laughs> kind of, hopefully, and they don't just think it's like, oh, you're, you're probably just really judgmental, they're thinking. Um, it's fixated on, on behaviors and actions of others. And this is, you know, we, I think as a church we must confess the ways that we Christians in the past have strayed and continue to stray in this kind of fixation on others' actions and not on our own. And I call this moralism. Morals are good. It's good to think about how your actions and the consequences of your actions are and whether or not they are for love or not. Moralism is bad because it distorts the faith into a tool of social control. Into being more focused on keeping people in line than on the life-giving love of Jesus Christ. It makes faith much more like being in prison than being set free from captivity. The discipline found in the scriptures is never like the discipline of the prison. It is actually the end of that. It is what happens after captivity. It is what happens after slavery. You are free. Moralism is the trap of judging others, of looking in the speck in our neighbor's eye rather than the log in our own. Moralism, in fact, is not based on the Bible. It is taking and distorting and proof texting and avoiding the overwhelming evidence of what Jesus has to say. And moralism, most of all, makes people stumble because it tears them down. And I think Jesus is speaking to that today. Even if you think you're in the right, if you are tearing other people down, you may have a millstone waiting for you. <laughs> Millstones are big. <laughs> if you don't know, if you've never seen an old mill, um, the one I've seen was about this big. Like all stone, giant circle, used to crush the wheat. You imagine that tight around your neck, you're sinking pretty fast. You're sinking Pretty fast. And so we must ask ourselves, does our story in some way make others stumble? Do any of our actions lead to others stumbling? That is not very sacred. And Jesus has some tough words for us. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you. If a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into a sea. It would be better for you. That would be the choice you would wish upon yourself. And then he moves from this collective body to the internal person. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. Your hand, your foot, your eye. All of these are marks of hypocrisy. If your hand is causing you to stumble, it is not really your hand. And if your foot is causing you to stumble, it is not really your, hand, your foot. It is a performance. It is a mask. <laughs> Hypocrite uh, in Greek is, uh, was a, a theater term. It was a description of an actor an actor was a hypocrite it's someone who performs on a stage and in ancient greece if those of you you've seen they used to have masks they didn't look like this but you would wear a mask when you performed it in a play and there's no mouth on that mask not many mouths on any of these masks um but okay so you might wear a mask like the whole mask is like this is not a happy person right and so it helps because people would be far away they didn't have any amplification device so you could see like Oh, that person's, that person's happy. That person is angry. And so you put the mask on in order to kind of show your character for these large amphitheaters. A hypocrite was someone who was performing. They would put on the mask and they would be a certain way, and then they'd take the mask off and they'd go back to how they were living their lives. The hypocrite is someone who performs one story but lives another. The hypocrite is someone whose hand is not performing the works of love even though their heart tells them to. The hypocrite is someone whose foot, whose eye, whose eye is wandering away from the works of love. And there is a disconnect going on. Moralism of this kind comes out of insecurity. We judge others because we don't want to judge ourselves. We see the speck in our neighbor's eye because we don't want to notice the log in our own because there's no personal consequences if we're just talking about other people in our life. At least we don't feel like there are consequences. If I can fix you, that means I don't have to fix myself. If I can change you, I don't have to change me. I'm doing pretty well myself. The question for us, though, is not what is wrong with the people next to us or what is right with them. What's going on right with them? What is your story? What is your story? And Jesus puts it another way. Where is your treasure? Stories are so often guided by treasure. Stories of mythology are usually based around treasure. One of my favorites was Jason and the Argonauts, and they were going to find the Golden Fleece, and they get the big, the big group back together, and there's Hercules and Perseus and all these big heroes, and they're all awesome, and they're going to go along and sail through all these adventures to find the treasure. Or, or you can think about, um, you know, there's a treasure at the end of the rainbow. Pirates, there's a treasure map. You've got to find the treasure map. You have to go through all the puzzles to get there. Or like, I lo- like heist films. I love heist films. There's always a treasure at the end. There's these complicated things to do and these backstabs. and It's a lot of fun. Treasure is usually a, uh, what's called a MacGuffin, which is one of my favorite terms. Have you ever heard of MacGuffin before? No. Yes. <laughs> it's, a term, it's a term coined by Alfred Hitchcock, and it's basically any arbitrary device to get the plot going. Like the classic example of a MacGuffin is the Falcon in the Maltese Falcon. Like... People are after it, and so they're trying to figure out what's going on. Or if you're from Star Wars, it's the Death Star plans as the MacGuffin. And so they're trying to get the Death Star plans, and the plot gets going because of this. But the world gives us a lot of MacGuffins, doesn't it? It gives us a lot of arbitrary treasures that makes us think this is what drives us. This is what we need to seek in our life. This is why we get up in the morning, is to chase this. What ultimately motivates us? in the morning. What is our goal? What is our treasure we are trying to build and where do we keep it? Where do we keep it? Jesus is not so as much Jesus is both concerned about what treasure we're seeking as well as where we are storing it. Not you can't have the one without the other. Is it something that is stored in your house where thieves can come and and rust and moth destroy? Is it something stored in a bank? Where financial downturns can come and suddenly it disappears, and then it's back, and then it disappears again, and then it's back? Is it something stored in heaven where neither moth nor recession can hit? Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure is another way to say, what is your story? As we see from these masks today, we could also ask ourselves, are we wearing a mask? Are you wearing a mask? So often I was, I had a challenge when I was um, an undergrad. And so I went to college and I was no longer living with my parents. And so when I went to church on Sunday, I would um, not particularly get dressed up. I would, I would just wake up and put clothes on and go in this kind of way. And I remember having this conversation with friends uh, in seminary about like, what's the deal? I was like Seinfeld, what's the deal with Sunday clothes? I mean, come on, um, <laughs> what's going on? And I remember talking and then talking to people who came out of the black church. And um, my friend's description of was, it was so important to be able to dress on Sunday because his people could not dress up any other day of the week. And they were restricted from this. And so it was a special and a sacred time to feel good and look good and to honor God in that. And I was kind of like really muted. Really really muted by that because for a while I was like, oh my gosh, it's so hip- hypocritical to put on these clothes or pretend like we're doing for this. And it was like, it was my mask that was showing. It wasn't anybody else's. It was, I was feeling like a hypocrite because I was not taking seriously how I could act and behave and be uh, with other people. Sometimes the desire itself is a mask. The desire to get away from other people can be a mask. The desire to mope, but apart from community we are stuck with the masks that we perform. A favorite novel of mine is by Kurt Vonnegut, Mother Night. And it's about a um, CIA operative, I guess an OSS operative in, in the World War II. And he goes to Germany and he becomes a propaganda officer for the Nazis. But he's, while he's, he has a radio show and he's saying this radio show and in the middle of it he's giving coordinates to the allies about where troop transports are and these things are going on. Um, and so he feels pretty good about himself that he's really helping out. But everybody loves him in Nazi Germany because he's, he's very anti-Semitic and Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. And so they're all into him. But what happens after the war is that his supervisor at the, at the OSS is killed. And so nobody else knows about his work. It was like so, so secret. And so after the war, everybody just thinks he's a Nazi. And the only people who talk to him are former Nazis who remember him for his propaganda. And, and, all, and all he has left is the mask that he used. And he has, Veronica has this line, be careful of who you pretend to be, because in the end, you are who you pretend to be. And I think the, the meaning, so much of it, and I didn't realize it until the 8 o'clock service, I didn't realize the point of the novel, but now I do, um, <laughs> is that he had kept himself hidden and he was, so, he was so proud of his own righteousness that he had no community to share with. He had no one to share with. And he was like, I am so important to the cause that I'm going to keep it to myself. And then he was left only with himself. And then he was left only with his mask. He needed people in his life. He needed people in his life. The people in his life were more important than just following his orders. Because apart from community, we are stuck with the masks that we perform. No matter the good intentions of it. Apart from the word of God, we are left with the masks we wear. But as the letter of Hebrews says, the word of God is like a two-edged sword that cuts, cuts both ways. It cuts through the masks that society tells us we need to wear. It cuts through the masks that tell, society tells us this is what a man is, this is what a woman is, this is what a child is. The masks that tell us What our cultural performance should be—the masks that comfort us and keep us from love. The masks that tell us, "Oh, we are not the kind of people who do that. We are not the kind of people who go there, who mix with those people." The masks that tell us we are not the kind of people who need help. The masks that tell us that we are really—we're really the victim here, in every situation. The masks that tell us our story is about fixing other people. But the word of God, like a two-edged sword, cuts through these masks. The mask cuts right through it. I think a sword actually cut off this part of the mask. (laughs) It cuts through those masks, the masks that tell us we don't want to be controlled by others. And anybody else having any input on our life is them trying to control us. The masks that tell us the preachers have no business talking about money. What are they doing up there? The masks that tell us we can put up our limits of holiness in our life and what we can or can't do and how much we can or cannot love. But when we live our faith That is when God cuts through those masks. And we can be free. We can be free of having to put on that mask every, every day. And sometimes there can be masks of faith. The rich young ruler had a mask of faith, right? He had this performance that he did, but when it came down to it, he could not handle the word of Jesus on his life. (coughs) Moralists have a mask of faith. Judgmental Christians wear a mask of faith. They perform They perform for the public, but they don't embody it. Our faith is embodied in seeking God. Our faith is embodied in remembering the mercy of God. Our faith is embodied in being fed by the word of God and by looking to the word of God, by looking through the scriptures together, by reading the Bible together, by talking to other people about what we believe. And this can be in Sunday school class. This can be in a small group. This can be at a potluck at church. We can just talk about what the word of God is saying to us today. What do you think God is saying to you in this passage from Mark? Cut off your hand. What does it mean? What do you think people around you think it means? Is God asking me to cut off my hand? Today, I think God is asking me to cut off my mask. What is your sacred story? How do you measure it? What is your treasure? Where do you store it? This is a question for me, too. This is a question for all of us. We're all given the opportunity to ask this question. And the hymn following, following the sermon, call called For One Great Peace, For One Great piece, And the final verse goes like this. This check I write, this march I join, this faith I state, this truth I sign. This is small part in one small place of one hearts beat for one great peace. And the whole song is this building up of these small practical things that we do to build up peace in this world. Peace that can only come from the God who loves us. A peace that comes because we realize that we do not need to put on a mask to be loved. We do not need to put on a mask to feel safe. I hope you can take the time this week to ask yourself, where is your treasure? What is your goal? I hope you take the time to talk to someone else about it, someone you trust, someone you respect, to ask them, what, is their, what has been their goal in life? What is their treasure? What do they strive for? What do they seek out? What is your sacred story? And does your life match your story? Your story, not my story. Not your spouses, not your kids. How has God called you to live? The word of God cuts through these masks. So don't be a slave to your masks. Live free by the power of God. Do not be a stumbling block for others. Live free. You don't have to put a limit on what God can do in your life. You don't have to submit to the captivity of the world. You can be free by the word of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.